Chances are, you're here because of an accident involving yourself or someone you love. And before the dust even settles, you're dealing with an insurance company that doesn't have your best interests at heart. You may be feeling overwhelmed. You may be feeling scared. Welcome to When Accidents Happen, a podcast brought to you by the attorneys of Brown, Moore & Associates. With more than five decades of experience, our attorneys are here to guide you through these uncertain times and provide you with the information and answers you need today. Hi, everyone. This is Paige Polky and Jim Peretz, and we're back with another episode of When Accidents Happen. And today we're going to be talking about the lawsuit timeline. Jim, how do we start a lawsuit? Sure. So a lawsuit is started by writing out a document called a complaint, filing in a court, and that accuses someone else of breaking the law. Generally, in our cases, that's negligence or motor vehicle crash. And that document's filed in court and then served on the defendant. So after it's served on the defendant, how long do they have to respond to the complaint? They have 30 days to respond. That document that they respond with is usually an answer. There are other things they could file, but it's almost always an answer. And they extend that, though. They can get an extension for 60 days. And I want to say every time, but nearly every time when they answer, regardless of the strength of your case, they're going to deny that they did anything wrong or at a minimum deny that they caused you any harm. So that's expected. Now, Jim, when I'm filing my complaint, I'm also serving written discovery on the defendant. And with that, I'm asking the defendant to answer certain questions and provide certain information and documents. The reason I'm doing this is to gain important and valuable information about the defendant, about their position regarding how the event occurred, the defenses that they're going to assert, and the types and amounts of insurance coverage that might be available. Is this something that you do as well? It is something that I do. In fact, it's probably done in nearly every civil lawsuit throughout the country. I serve interrogatories, which is a fancy way of saying a written question under oath to the defense. I also ask for documents, insurance paperwork, where they were coming, going, that type of information, as well as ask them to admit certain things, admit that they live in North Carolina, admit that they were the one driving the car. Those type of discovery is pretty much done in every civil lawsuit, and it's certainly something that we handle in our lawsuits. And then... Either before filing my complaint or shortly thereafter, I am, if experts are appropriate in that case, I'm locating those experts and getting them on board for the case. And in my experience, not every case needs an expert, and experts, unfortunately, are expensive, but I understand why. So if the case does not need an expert, in order to maximize my client's potential recovery, I'm not going to bring that expert on board. But if I do need an expert, I'm definitely going to find those experts early on and and make sure they're on board and up to speed on the case. I absolutely agree. Getting experts is a part of many cases, uh, many litigations. And for example, let's say you're injured in a car crash and you need uh, knee surgery. The common person doesn't understand that the certain ligaments and the certain structural damage that can happen to a knee, and you may need a physician to explain that to a jury and may be legally required to prove that damage to the jury. Other cases, when someone gets hit by a car, falls down, and, and that's what you're seeking to recover, you don't necessarily need an expert on board. And if you don't need one, you shouldn't put it part of your discovery. But if you do need one, it's absolutely the right thing to do to get that on board as soon as possible. And earlier we talked about the defendant answering the complaint. When the defendant answers the complaint, in my experience, my client also generally receives written discovery from the defendant. So similar to what we send out to them, they send it back to my client asking them to 
answer certain questions, provide documents, and sometimes answer requests for admissions or admit or deny certain things. Is that typically what happens with your clients as well? They always get it. We all get uh, that type of discovery served on our clients. And, but I like to, and, and I imagine you do too, Paige, in fact, I'm sure you do, help our clients with answering those questions. We want to make sure that their legal rights are protected at each and every step. That means objecting to certain questions. It also means answering questions in certain ways. So that's something we will sit down and talk through with our clients and help them write answers to that discovery. In your experience, Jim, how long after the defendant answers the complaint does it take for the case to go through trial if that's what's ultimately going to happen? So there are a lot of steps. If we discussed, you file your complaint, there's an answer, you go through the discovery process. But the court will set a trial date. And that trial date generally is a year to a year and a half away. And that's just the first trial date. Oftentimes, there are unforeseen circumstances. A court has a, a prior case that's older than yours that must go first. There aren't enough jurors. Snow's not usually a problem in Charlotte, but weather inclement, uh, the Republican National Convention coming to town, whatever it may be, there are reasons why a trial may be bumped. But generally speaking, it's a year to a year and a half away. And I think that surprises a lot of clients, the, the time frame. Like you said, the court sets the date, and there are a lot of other cases on the docket that need to be heard. And so we are given that date, and that's just kind of what we have to work with. Before trial, is there a way to resolve your matter through mediation? Yes. So mediation is actually required in North Carolina in Superior Court. And so that is an opportunity where the parties come together. Generally, we like to have it happen in our office. We will hire somebody called a mediator. They're a lawyer here in town, and they are a neutral party. We present our side of the case. Defendants will present their side of the case. We'll split into two separate rooms, and then the mediator will pop back and forth between the two rooms, trying to get us to come to a mutually agreeable number to resolve the case. Now, sometimes this works. Other times it doesn't, uh, but I still think it's a helpful exercise, and it's something you know that we are required to do to see if we can't resolve it without having to go through a lawsuit. And if you are through, unable through trial, through sorry. trial, got it. And if you are unable to resolve your matter at mediation, do you lose your trial date? Or are you still able to go to trial? You're still able to go to trial. Your trial date will not change because you didn't resolve it at mediation. If you don't resolve it at mediation, something will be filed with the court indicating that it didn't resolve at mediation, and now it's ready to move on to trial. One thing that happens in my cases, Paige, is even before mediation and before trial, is my clients go through depositions. And I also like to take depositions of the other side, of the other defendant. And is that uh, your experience that depositions are common in your cases? Yes, it is, Jim. And with my clients' depositions, a lot of times that's a very scary experience for them. And so I want to make sure that they're properly prepared. And I bring them into the office in advance of their deposition. We work together. We prepare so that they feel comfortable when they are being deposed by opposing counsel. We always like to hold the depositions here at our office. And during the deposition, I would be sitting right next to, you know, you as the client. And I would be able to object if there are any inappropriate questions and be there listening and make, making sure that everything that is being asked is appropriate. And I, I like how you mentioned preparation for a deposition. The most important part for my clients is that they feel comfortable when they're ask, answering those questions. So if it takes one time for them to prepare, that's fine. If it takes two, three, four, however long they need to be comfortable in answering those questions, that we are happy to do that for our clients. Definitely. So 
let's say we've gone through the discovery process, we're past mediation, we're on to trial. How long does a trial last generally in your cases? For a motor vehicle case, generally three to four days. And is, is that the whole case? Is that a voir dire, evidence, verdict? Is that everything? Yes, yeah, so that's usually everything. That's, you know, selecting the jury and then putting on all of our evidence. So calling the plaintiff, calling the defendant, calling any doctors, defense if they put on any evidence, and then closing arguments. And then the jury deliberates. But yeah, the last step is after we do our closing arguments, the jury gets the case and the judge instructs them of the instructions that they're supposed to use in evaluating the case. They're sent out of the room. They get to deliberate, come to a decision, and then they come back into the courtroom and tell us their decision. And it's been my experience that a jury will take anywhere from five minutes to days. You really just do not know how long a jury is going to take in their deliberation. You're right, Jim. There is no way to know how long it's going to take or even you know what they're doing back there. It's all private and it's in their hands after we give our closing arguments and they are instructed. Thank you very much, Paige, for having me on today and discussing about the timeline of litigation. Great to have you, Jim. We appreciate you joining us on this episode of When Accidents Happen. To learn more about today's discussion or to tell us your story, visit our website at brownmorelaw.com. That's B-R-O-W-N-M-O-O-R-E-L-A-W.com or call 704-335-1500. The insights and views presented in When Accidents Happen are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. If you're ready for the personal attention you deserve, contact Brown Moore & Associates today.